Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. I got a few pictures I want to show you right out of the gates so that you can get an idea of what we are talking about. Um, in the height of its success, Babylon, the city, Babylon, was this incredible, incredible city. Now, for whatever reason, at this time in, you know, I don't know what it was, close to the 5th century, 6th century, nobody thought to take any pictures. So what we had to do was uh, get some artist rendition of this ancient city. Uh, this is absolutely incredible to me. This river running through the middle is the Euphrates to give you some idea of the scope, it supposedly had multiple gates. Can you back up uh, just uh, one, more, one more slide, Derek? Multiple gates all the way around the city. Some say seven, some say eight. Um, inside was enough room for crops, for cattle to graze. I don't know if you know how many square miles Tulsa, Oklahoma is, but I'll tell you, it's 186 square miles. Babylon was 196 square miles. Now, maybe you know a city bigger than Tulsa. There are some. But I bet you don't know one that has an entire wall all the way around it, like Babylon did. Massive, massive, massive. To understand the size and the scope of Babylon, you, we have to dive into other historians and what they've written about it. Show me a couple other, uh, a couple other pictures there, Derek. This big uh, building right here, what they call a ziggurat. Um, some assume this is where the hanging gardens were. I don't know if you know this or not, but of the... The original list of all the wonders of the world, Babylon had two on the list. You're not talking about a little place that's not really that impressive. You're talking about it occupied two places on the world's greatest things to see in the entire world. Entire world. So it had a wall all the way around it. Anybody know how tall the new windmills are outside of town? Any idea? The propellers? The stem? Anyone? The stem itself is 440 feet. The propellers, each one, 220 feet. This is what I've been told. I didn't measure them. 220 feet each. The walls around Babylon were somewhere between 200 and 300 feet tall. That's pretty impressive. Until you hear how wide they are. They say that these walls were over 80 feet wide. You could take a four-horse chariot and make it do a U-turn. You could race them up on top of the walls and do a U-turn and race back to the other end. You're not talking about a dinky wall. We're not talking about a tiny wall. We're talking about a wall, wall, like a fortress. Babylon is 
massive, and the Euphrates runs right through the middle of it. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. If you were going to attack this city, you only had a couple of options. You could siege the city. Siege warfare was big right then. What they would do is they would come in and they would camp around you. That way you couldn't come out. You can't come out. Do you know how long it would take to drain Babylon of all of its resources that they had stored? 25 years. You would have to wage war on Babylon for the next 25 years. You would have to pack your Coleman tent and all your sardines. And you would have to have your horse tied up outside and be sure that you could live for the next 25 years if you were going to wait them out on the inside. There's no chance of that. Well, the other one would be aerial attack. You know, trebuchets, bows and arrows. The problem is we got walls that are almost 300 feet high. They're 80-some feet in width. And by the time your arrow gets to the top, it probably would feel something like a, you know, the old school suction cup ones. You know, you stick them on the glass. No chance. The other thing is is that Babylon had these 200-foot watchtowers built all the way around it. So if you were to camp there, you're going to get picked off by snipers. There's no chance. What are you going to do? Here's the beauty of it. One practical, one practical, one devotional. The beauty of it is this. This is the greatest place on earth at the time. The safest place on earth. It's not going to be, cannot be conquered. By any stretch of the imagination, nobody in their right mind would have been able to figure out how to attack this city and conquer it. There's something beautiful about that. When God says to his people, Israel, and he says, uh, because you've continued to sin, you've continued to worship idols, and you obviously have no concept of how much I love you and what I want for you, I better open your eyes a little bit. I better open your eyes a little bit. Let me take you to a place that's beautiful. Listen, Israel is beautiful. Like That's the motherland, right? I mean, the Jews talk about Israel and the land and the soil and the fertile plains. Like That's the motherland, but they've never seen anything like this. Never, ever have they seen anything like this. And then they're brought in to the middle of Babylon, and they're like, welcome. Welcome to the safest place on earth. It's kind of like being kidnapped and taken to the Four Seasons. You know what? Shame on you. You're going to be banished to Hawaii for 70 years. Ah. I've had it with you. Okay. Tahiti? You go into Tahiti. Stay in there forever. And God reaches out to his people and he puts them in the most beautiful place, the most prosperous place, the safest place that they can ever, ever spend their time. How much does God love us? Even in his punishment, we see these signs of him saying, this is how much I love you. This is what I want for you. What you see here is nothing compared to what I have in store for you. Just follow my command. 
God said he's going to protect his people and he's going to put them into captivity. And then he puts them in the safest place on the planet. And that's beautiful to me. We had Father's Day last week, but the week before we covered Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar makes a complete 180, or for some of you, what you would call a complete 360, right? It's a 180, right? A complete 180. And he comes all the way back around, and he says, you know what? I was wrong about all the other gods. There's only one God, and it's the God of Daniel. He's reinstated, remember? He loses his mind. He wanders in the wilderness for seven years, and then finally he's brought back, and he professes with his mouth, there's only one God. There's only one God, and it's the God of Daniel. And he gets back to his throne, and all of his splendor is restored to him. But Nebuchadnezzar's reign has ended. There's quite a few years, actually, between the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign and where we end up in chapter 5. There was a couple other kings in there. One was a king for almost an hour, I think. It was less than a year at least. Nobody liked him. I believe he was murdered, tossed out. There were a couple other guys who tried to do it, and that didn't, they didn't go so well. And so then finally, a grandson came along, and his name is Belshazzar. But Belshazzar is not really the real king. His father is the real king. But his father, for whatever weird reason, doesn't occupy the throne or live in Babylon. He's living in some oasis in the desert. I think he's one of those eccentric artist types. You know what I mean? Like, I know I've got all this power, but I just really want to just paint pictures of avocados or whatever he's doing. I don't know. So he's not there, so he lets his son rule all of Babylon. Do you know any rich kids that are good kids? Let's be honest. Do you know any entitled kids that are good kids? Very, very few. Jesus said something, uh, Jesus said something pretty, pretty pointed. It is very difficult for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. There are very few warnings quite that stern in Scripture. I mean, pertaining to certain groups of people, but that's one of them. If you're rich, getting to heaven is going to be really hard for you. I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm not rich, and I think heaven is really hard already to get to. Like, just keeping myself put together, you know. Belshazzar is the co-regent. He gets to run Babylon while daddy's not home. You know what you do with daddy's money when daddy's not home? <laughs> yeah. You spend it. You know what you do with daddy's throne when daddy's not around? Daddy's crown, daddy's juice, daddy's power, daddy's drinks. Do you know what you do? <laughs> yes, you do. Daddy's keys. Leaves them in the same place all the time. When daddy ain't home. We're going to learn to drive today. 
And Belshazzar says, let's throw a party. Daniel chapter 5 begins to tell us that this is a massive party. It's a guest list of a thousand people. But they only fall into three different categories, which is pretty gnarly, really. All of his nobles, the people who serve him, these people who the king, Belshazzar, thinks so highly of, the nobles, that occupies a good portion of the list. Then all of his wives, all of his wives, they got invited to the party. Honey, would you like to go to a party? Would you like to invite the rest of my wives to come to this party? Side note, uh, there's nothing that sounds fun about that whatsoever. <laughs> That's a lot of wives, you know? And then the third group? Oh, all of his concubines. Not just his wives, not just his nobles that serve him, but his concubines as well. And the guest list is a thousand. One, comment <laughs> one commentator said this. Let me see if I can find this quote. This is really great. When the wine is out of the bottle and the money is out of the purse, the wits are out of the mind. How true is that? Once the wine's out of the bottle and the money's out of the purse, the wits have already left the mind. That's so true. So true. Belshazzar is just having a ball. And people get carried away. We just get carried away. Sometimes you just get carried away. You just take things a little too far. Maybe you say too much. You, you act out too much. You take things just a little too far. And bad ideas become bad actions. It's easy to take things a little too far. Belshazzar really, really goes overboard. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet, Daniel chapter 5, for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave the orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, or grandfather, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. I knew a group of guys that used to smoke joints that were torn out of the pages of the Gideon Bible. Some of you do too. There's something about that that really kind of... I mean, we always took things a little too far. That deal was a little too far. Just kind of thumb your nose at God. You see, this isn't really much different than what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together. 
and his legs gave way. Can you imagine a big grisly hand dropping out of the ceiling right here and scrawling into the sheetrock as the pebbles and the dust and the paper rips away and it begins to trickle across the floor? <laughs> Carving into the wall. And the king was drunk a minute ago, but not anymore. You're really kind of messing up my high, man. And this big grisly hand all of a sudden shows up and begins to write on the wall. The king is absolutely terrified. He called out for the enchanters. That's what his grandpa would have done. The astrologers, the diviners to be brought in, and he said to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain put around his neck and will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. There's nothing like giving out a little bit of daddy's power too, right? I mean, I'm not the real king, real king. I'm only in, in second place, really. My dad's really in charge, but he's not here. But until he gets back, we can, it can be both of ours, but we'll just keep it at my house. How about that? And we'll, it'll be a throne that we'll both just wear. I mean, a crown that we both just wear. And, and on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you can sit on the throne. You'll be third in charge. It's going to give away a little power. All the king's wise men came in, <clears throat> but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. Oh, king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like, uh, like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say I... I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve difficult problems in Rubik's Cubes for Daniel. And he, uh, call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Do you know what happens sometimes when... We don't pass down the things in our family that were given to us. And we don't continue to keep in mind the things that happened before us. When we don't listen to those who were over us, it's bad news. You see, we have a responsibility, men specifically us, we have a responsibility to pass down the things that we've been given. Listen, good or bad, sometimes you're given a reverse negative of the manual, right? Right? You don't have the perfect manual. What you get is a I-know-what-not-to-do manual. And so you get handed this. Now, you've got to pass that on to the next group. Somewhere along the line, somebody dropped the ball. There's an absent father in the middle of this. He's living in the desert in some oasis. And now we've got this little spoiled rich kid, Belshazzar. And what's he doing? Just running amok. Can't be told anything and he forgot. He forgot. There used to be a guy in Babylon that did this stuff. He told the stories. He interpreted the dreams from my grandfather, and he probably remembered those stories. 
So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight and intelligence and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and the enchanters were brought before me to read the writing on the wall and tell me what it means, but they couldn't explain it. Now, have I heard... Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made third highest ruler in the kingdom. I love this line. Then Daniel answered, you can keep your gifts. You can keep your gifts. Keep them for yourself and give your rewards to somebody else. Nevertheless, I'll read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. You know what? Godly men, godly men can't be bought. They can't be bought. Can't be bribed. And Daniel stands there and says, yeah, that's... I don't know if you know this, Belshazzar, but I've been second in this whole kingdom for about 75 years. I mean, since I was 40 or since I was 15, you know, your grandpa put me in charge. I guess it would have been 75 years. They were only there 70. I've been in charge for a long, long time. I don't even think you know how in charge I am, but he doesn't say that. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar did the same thing to him, promoted him, made him his right-hand man. This guy's this guy's got seniority. Belshazzar has no idea what he's talking about. Daniel's also a man of opportunity, and I like that. I like a guy who can just stop mid-sentence and tell a story, especially an entertaining one. I really, really admire that. Somebody who can just stop. You know what? The other day, I was coming down the... There's this old preacher. His name's Fred Craddock. He's dead now. But he used to tell of his father, who was an alcoholic, who would come home, and he would, he would roll cigarettes by the, by the fireplace, and he would come up, and he would just stand in front of the fireplace, and he would stare at the fire, and he would light the cigarette. I mean, he would roll the cigarette, put it in his mouth, and smoke it. He's back to the whole family, and then he would say, man, I hope I never see what I saw today. And the kids just come running in. Well, what, what, did you, what did you see today? What did you see today, Dad? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were in here. Dad, what did you see? Oh, it's not fit for children. Please, please tell me. It was the scariest thing I've ever seen. And this old preacher would talk about how his alcoholic father such an incredible storyteller and that part of his gift came from that deal I think Daniel's that kind of guy you can keep your gifts Belshazzar you can keep your gifts and you can you can promote somebody else but you know this is interesting I knew your grandfather do you remember hearing about that time that he lost his mind yeah I remember that I was there, you know. I watched over the kingdom for the seven years while he was gone. That's what I did. Do you know why that happened? I bet you this is a part of the story you've never heard. 
because of his arrogance. Belshazzar says he's what? He's arrogance. You know, pride. You see, your grandfather killed whoever he wanted to kill. I bet you didn't know that. He had mercy on whoever he wanted to have mercy on because there has been nobody as powerful as your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. I served under him. But he refused to say that God was number one. He just refused. And you know what happened? God took his mind. Can you be Belshazzar for one second? And said and listened to that story, God took his mind because he was so prideful. You just saw a grisly hand right on the wall. The plaster's still chipping. And you're supposed to interpret it. And Belshazzar's sitting there going, are you going to get to the part about the weird hand out of the ceiling thing? He just wouldn't admit that God really was the only God of heaven. And finally, God showed up and took his mind. But the day your grandfather confessed, okay, there's only one God, and it is Jehovah, the God of the Jews, the God of the Hebrews. And when he admitted that, everything was restored to him. But you, O Belshazzar, you have really crossed the line. I don't know if you remember or not, but Nebuchadnezzar had this really cool thing to where he just kind of made slow migration. Do you remember us talking about this? Slow migration towards what was true and what was real and what was godly and what was truth. And finally, by the end, he humbled himself enough to accept that. And Daniel sees a difference between his little spoiled brat grandson, Belshazzar, and the dignified man he knew as Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to what he says. O king, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and the nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. And those he wanted to promote, he promoted. I was one of them. But those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from the royal throne and was stripped of his glory was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal he lived with the wild donkeys and he ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God was actually the Lord of heaven is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes but you Oh, little baby Belshazzar, but you, little man, you have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all of this, you knew it all. These stories were passed down to you. You knew this was true, but you did not humble yourselves. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. 
You had the goblets from the temple brought to you, and you and your wives and your concubines and your nobles were all drinking from them? Mm. You praise the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, stone, all those things that can't see or hear or speak or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hands your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription, and I would like to tell you what the inscription says. Meanie, meanie, tackle, parson. Meanie, meanie, the word meanie is God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to end twice. God has numbered your days. God has numbered your days. In the word tackle, you have been weighed on scales and found wanting. Sorry, buddy. You just didn't make weight. There was a day in Pop Warner football, you had to weigh 88 pounds to get to play. But some of those little guys didn't get to play because they didn't weigh enough to tip the little scales over. And that's your problem on a character level, Belshazzar. You can't tip the scales because there's not much to you. You have been found wanting and then the last one, Parson, your kingdom is divided and will be given to the Medes and the Persians. This is what it says. Belshazzar jumps from his chair, commands that Daniel be clothed in purple, a gold chain placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed to be the third highest ruler in all the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62, that very night. Can we be honest for a minute? Have you ever wished that God would strike out a little retribution on your behalf with that kind of swiftness? You know, somebody gets you, somebody burns you a little bit, and you think to yourself like, oh, I wish God would get him, and then a truck. <laughs> Can you imagine? We really do like a God like that. God's going to get you. And here they come now. How brutal. What's the problem with pride? If you look at the life of Belshazzar and the life of Nebuchadnezzar, there's really not much difference. There's really not much difference. In the very, you know, first couple of chapters of Daniel, it talks about Nebuchadnezzar had the, had the items from the temple. He killed who he wanted to kill. He partied. He worshiped other gods. He looks just like Belshazzar. Like all that thing is all familiar. But then there's this one little line, this one little line down there at the bottom. It's in verse 23. He says, all these indictments, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this, you know, just like your fathers have done, but you, but you have done something different, but you did not honor the God who holds his, holds his hand, uh, holds in his hand your life and your ways, your life 
and your ways. I would love to believe that everything I've ever accomplished in my life, I have done on my own. Of course, there's other times I would love to be able to blame what I haven't accomplished on somebody else. Both are forms of pride. I was deciding if I was going to tell you this story because it's shameful on my end. I started a podcast back in February where I sat down and I visit with preachers. And I enjoy it. And it's, it's not viral, it's, but it's got some traction and it's, it's been cool. I've absolutely enjoyed it. So I had to put together a YouTube channel so I could upload the videos and this kind of deal. And so I'm walking out of this restaurant the other day. Uh, my wife and I, we were out on date night. So we're walking out and there's a, uh, there's a person sitting in a car. Windows rolled down, sees me halfway across the parking lot. And he yells to me, hey! I said, yeah, waves, wave. Look at my wife. I said, you know this guy? No, I don't know him. All right. He says, hey, are you a YouTuber? <laughs> wow. Well, I don't like to brag, but thinking there's no way that, because you look like a YouTuber. Like, I don't even know if I know what a YouTuber looks like. I'm thinking maybe he's thinking of a specific YouTuber. And I'm like, just, just any YouTuber? Not like a, like a, you look like a, like a YouTuber. You a YouTuber? A YouTuber? Like a guy? There's a guy? I said, well, what's his name? He said, I don't remember his name, but you look just like a YouTuber who lost all his views. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> but you got me. <laughs> well done. And so I take off and I'm walking across the parking lot. And he yells, hey, 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 I remember the, who, I remember the guy's name. I said, oh, you do? And he tells me. He's a little short, pudgy guy with a beard. Super annoying. Talks all the time. I knew exactly who he was talking about. And I was like, I'm going to go beat that eight-year-old up. <laughs> I've never beat up an eight-year-old, but hold my shirt. I'm getting him. There's a thing that happens to us when pride begins to take over in our minds. There's this thing that happens to us. Pride has this nasty effect on us as human beings. Pride is a nasty, nasty thing. Pride is the foundational sin. It's the foundational sin. The love of money is the root of all evil. Why would you dare love money? Pride. Pride. You know why I love money? Because money means I get, to, I get to widen the gap between me and you. That's why I love money. Because I get to touch things you don't get to touch. I get to drive things you don't get to drive. I get to live in places and go places that you don't get to. It gets to widen the gap between us. The love of money is the root of all evil, but pride, oh, that's foundational. 
In fact, Satan fell from heaven because of pride. Let me read you a few things I've learned about pride. Number one, pride undermines God's plan for your life. Pride will always undermine God's plan for your life. Listen to these verses. Proverbs 29. I'll read them to you. You can go there too if you want. 29, 23. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. If you flip over a few pages to Proverbs 11. Verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16 Verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride undermines God's plan for our life. God desires to raise us up. He desires to raise us up. But you know what happens? We will oftentimes step into daddy's throne and put on daddy's crown and grab up daddy's scepter and start giving power out wherever we want to. And the first place we typically put it is in our own pocket. Well, goody, goody for me. I will raise myself up. And the unfortunate part of that is that that means that God has then got to react against us and not for us. He has to wage war on us, not for us. Pride undermines it. You see, God wants to lift us up. What pride does is lifts us up, and then we fall. Then we fall. Here's the second thing that pride does. It halts our growth and our development. Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Read this verse to you. Romans 12. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Pride will halt your growth. It's so interesting that what pride does is it tries to put the distance between you and other people. I would like to show you how much better or further along I am than you. That's what pride does. And you know what happens in those moments is we begin to repel all of these other things away from us. Do you know how hard it is to learn something when you know everything? Any of you have any teenagers? Any of you ever been a teenager? Every once in a while I'll have an interaction and I think to myself, oh, how I was so much smarter when I was 17. And my mom and dad were so Oh, much dumber. Now they're really smart. <laughs> I'm really dumb. And you just don't know what you don't know. You see, it halts our growth. Proverbs 13.10 says this. 
Let me read this to you. Proverbs 13, 10. Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Mm. It halts your growth. You can't know more if you already know more. And if you can't hear anymore because you're so busy telling yourself, you are so smart, Jared. You are so incredibly smart. And then somebody comes along and says, hey, you're missing a wheel on the back. And you go, that's what you think because I know a lot already. And that's what it looks like. Wisdom is found in people who take advice. So we take advice. The third thing is this, is it numbs our spiritual senses. Pride will numb our spiritual senses. When pride takes us over, we begin to believe that we can see more than others can see, that we can know more than others know, we can accomplish more than what others can accomplish. But the truth is, what it actually does is it blinds us to our own weaknesses. We become deaf to the cries of those around us, and we become calloused to those who are struggling. Pride numbs our senses. It doesn't give us greater senses. It numbs our senses. We become blind to our weakness, deaf to the cries of those around us, and we become calloused to those who are struggling. Psalm 73. Psalm 73, 1 through 9, says it this way. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. Ever been there? I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles, their bodies are healthier and strong, they're free from the burdens of common man, and they're not plagued with human ills, therefore pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity and evil conceits of their minds. No, no limits. They scoff and speak with malice in their arrogance. They, are, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven while their tongues take possession of the earth. I almost screwed up. I almost screwed up. I started envying the arrogant. You familiar with the Instagram influencer? You familiar with this job title? Instagram influencer. You know what the job is? Take some cool pictures of you at a cool place, promote a little business for somebody else. But basically, if you carve through all that, here's what it's doing. Jealousy. Just a little bit of jealousy. You want to look over your neighbor's fence and see what else they got. Just a little bit. More, I started to envy them. Here's what it says, and they wear their pride around their neck. I love it. They wear their pride around their neck. What's the verse say? Verse 73. 
Therefore, pride is their necklace. And listen to this part. They clothe themselves with violence. You see, it numbs you to your spiritual senses. You see, shortly, shortly after pride takes over, violence becomes the next thing. You don't care about people. You can't be prideful and care about other people. I like the story of a king who gets dethroned. I'll tell you what story I like more, though. The story of a king who on his own crawls upon a dishonorable cross and takes on the burdens of everyone else, sets aside his own wants and crawls upon a cross and says, this is for you. I'm doing all this for you. If I had my own way, I wouldn't do it, but I ask my dad, do I have to drink this? Okay, I'll do it because I'm obedient. And that's a king we can love, and that's a king we can honor. And that's the king that we have in our kingdom that is far greater than Babylon. Far greater than Babylon. All over the entire city walls of Babylon, there were these bricks that said, created by the king of the world, Nebuchadnezzar. Back me up to another one. Is there another one similar to that? There we go. In 1982, do you know what happened? Saddam Hussein started rebuilding Babylon. Show me the next one, Derek. Yeah, the next, uh, the next brick one, sorry. And then Saddam went through and started putting these bricks in the wall of Babylon. And it says something to the effect of Saddam Hussein, son of Nebuchadnezzar, king of the world. You want to hear something beautiful? Ten years after they started putting these bricks in place, they started cracking. Of course, it wasn't very long after that we found him. And it wasn't very long after that they found him and they killed him. I don't know if you know this or not, but he didn't come back. And about all those bricks are gone because people come by and they stole them all. It's like a scrubbed up baseball card. Do you remember the error cards and you would look at your little Beckett book? You would follow the little number and you would look at it and be like, oh, it's an error card. There's this collection of these out there from the king of the world who can't even keep his bricks in his castle. But what we have is a king who is the king of all of heaven. And what he has said is that we are the building blocks that builds his kingdom. And we can never be taken out of his hands. We can never be taken out of his hands. Let's pray.